0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. It's great that you joined us on this episode of This Week in the Word. Last week, we began a new series, The Great Rapture Debate. If you missed the first episode, just go back one week, listen to that, and you'll be caught up. But the main reason that 1 Thessalonians, uh, the letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, the main reason that letter was written is there was actually in his day at the Thessalonian church a great rapture debate, just like there is today. It's funny, like the French say, uh, the old becomes new again or something like that. French people say unusual things. <laughs> so it is not new that even in our day there is debate about the rapture because it existed in Paul's day. And the reasoning went something like this. Well, if if we're going through tribulation now then we are in the tribulation capital T. In other words we've we've missed the rapture or the rapture comes later. And this was causing a lot of distress and concern among the believers in Thessalonica. Now, that's um, a town in Greece, a very large town even today still. But we come to chapter 2, and Paul is defending not only his message, but himself. Now, in every single chapter of 1 Thessalonians, the rapture of the church is referred to. And critics were attacking Paul's message by attacking Paul the man. Basically, it probably went about like this. Well, Paul deserted you. He just, he came into town, he started this church, and he deserted you and left you high and dry. Well, that's not exactly what happened. You can read back in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, and you will see that Paul was with the Thessalonian believers for uh, approximately, three Sabbaths, so we're going to say about two weeks, maybe a little more than two weeks, and a church was born when he proclaimed Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So many of the Jewish people in the synagogue there trusted Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, a church was born, and I'm sure very quickly many Gentiles as well came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well this did not sit very well with the the leadership at least of the Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica, and they they were coming after Paul and the these this new church, these young believers said, Paul, we better get you out of here and so, they sent him on his way to the city of Berea. Paul was probably accused of being a jailbird, and the reason I say that is he served time in jail is because when he was in the city of Philippi, also in Greece, before he came to Thessalonica, he had been imprisoned there in his uh, feet and hands were put in stocks and they were chained. And even before that, they were beaten mercilessly by the jailer. But of course, the church was born there as well. But they could say that, well, hey, who is this Paul guy anyway? I mean, he sounds like a convict to us. And in fact, he not only sounds like a convict, he sounds like a con artist. And he just told you this stuff so he could get over on you and use you and fleece you. And you often hear those charges, by the way, against pastors today. And I think there are some people who do that. But for example, if somebody said, well, Pastor Ed's just trying to take advantage of you and get over on you. I don't even charge for this podcast. I'm not selling anything. I don't have any merch as they talk about. Nobody's paying me to do this. I pay my own way. I pay it out of my pocket. <laughs> so Paul could say the same thing. Now, we're going to go in just a moment to first Thessalonians chapter two, but I want to give you a good, a good question, a good concept to apply to anyone who would be your leader, your spiritual leader. Would you bleed for me? that's a tough question. Would you bleed for me? You see, I believe if someone would bleed for you, they can lead for you. And obviously, that refers ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to the right kind of spiritual leadership. Well, let's go uh, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Let's see if I can find this here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I think what I'm going to do today, and this is different than we normally do, but because of the kind of chapter this is, I'm going to read the entire chapter straight through, and then we're going to come back and apply some of this. So Paul is, is answering his critics and trying to, to reassure these new believers in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye you know how we exhorted and comfort and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews." who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming, for ye are our glory and joy. All right, let's let's back up and let's break this down here a little bit, and I'm going to be uh, interspersing here leadership principles and just good ways of, of being the right kind of leader, and for you to be sure you're being led by the right kind of spiritual leaders. Or if you might be in spiritual leadership, that you are, you're providing proper leadership for those who follow you. Would you bleed for me? That's a good basic question. You see, I've come to realize, and I've heard this many times, I'm sure you have too, but as I've gotten older, I've come to truly realize People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you're in spiritual leadership, you have to truly care for those under your leadership. And if you are, are looking to your pastor and so forth, maybe even Sunday school teachers and that kind of thing, if, if you're looking to others for spiritual leadership I'm sure that often in your heart, it comforts you to know that they truly care for you as a person, as a Christian, as an individual. And and you're not so impressed by what they know, but, but you're impressed by how much they care, and that opens your heart to benefit by what they know. Does that make sense to you? And Paul was that kind of, church planter when he came into Thessalonica because, listen, if Paul was only in it for the money, like a lot of the so-called holy men who were on every street corner in Thessalonica and the, the religious con artists and the, the leaders of the idols' temples and all of that, they were, they were in it for what they could get out of it, all right? If Paul was that kind of person he would not have kept going through the suffering that he went through. He was beaten almost to death, along with Silas, who's also writing here, the Thessalonians, who helped found that church. They were beaten almost to death in Philippi. They were then put in maximum security lockup, literally with their hands and their feet in stocks, and they were chained up. I mean, they weren't getting away, that's for sure. And basically branded as lawbreakers in Philippi. And I'm sure by the time Paul even made it to Thessalonica, they could still see the literal wounds on his legs and, and his back from what he had suffered, the beating. And Silas as well, Silvanus as well, had suffered in Philippi. So, you know the question: Would you bleed for me? Well, I think the answer to that, where Paul's concern is, why? Yes, I would. And they could save him. Yeah, he would bleed for us. And if they hadn't have gotten him out of Thessalonica before before the the Jewish leadership could get to him, they probably would have beaten him some more, and who knows, maybe even killed him. And by the way. That little section here later in 1 Thessalonians 2 where Paul just calls it like it is about the, the Jewish religious leadership that was opposing him all over the Middle East, everywhere he went in Europe. They, he would go to the Jewish synagogue first and preach Christ. Some would believe and a church would be founded, but, but the, the, the majority of the people, but especially usually the leadership, rejected that and they didn't just reject it and say well to each his own they went after Paul physically legally and so Paul is not being anti-semitic at the end of first Thessalonians 2 and the reason I know that is he was a Jew so we know he wasn't doing that and the Lord Jesus Christ was born into the tribe of Judah a Jewish tribe so there's no anti-semitism here Paul is just calling it like, it like it was in his day, and it often is even today, where secular, unbelieving Jewish people who should be the greatest believers in the Lord Jesus Christ on planet Earth reject that and basically cause a lot of trouble, uh, legally speaking, for Christians. And um, there's a lot of animosity, obviously, between Jewish people and Christian people. But you know what our job is as Christians? We are to love the Jewish people and to be the, the best witnesses and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah, to them. So we're not talking anti-Semitism here. But Paul Paul knew who it was that didn't like him. Let's just put it like that. And so he was just calling it like it was in his experience. But when Paul came into Thessalonica, he, he didn't use deceit or uncleanness or guile. Uh, he was willing to bleed for the Thessalonicans if it required that. And he, was, he knew that the gospel had been entrusted to him, and so he preached the gospel. He didn't use, like it says there in verse 5, verse two flattering words. That was, by, by the way, a a form of speech, very common among the Greeks, like it was a a way to address crowds, for example, to get them to do what you wanted. And he said, we didn't use a cloak of covetousness. In other words, he wasn't telling them the good news of Jesus Christ so he could get their money. And I'm going to prove that here in just a minute. He says, we weren't looking for glory from you or anybody else. Now, verse 6, he mentions that because he was an apostle and he had his uh, apostolic team, so to speak, with him, he, he would have been completely entitled to support, financial support from the church at Thessalonica. But he didn't require that. He says, "We, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, you know, he says, we weren't. He says in verse seven, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, by the way, that little construct there, affectionately desirous of you, is absolutely unique. Or uh, let me rephrase that. It's extremely rare. It's not unique, but extremely rare in the Greek language. And it's, it's, like, a, it's like a mother will talk to her newborn, her little baby, And you've you've seen moms do that. It's quite touching. And that's how they felt toward the Thessalonians, we see in verse eight. He says, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. And then he mentions the labor and travail that, that the Thessalonians observed on the part of Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Our Silas and Timothy, we, we would call them in English. He says, you you remember this, brothers, our, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. And maybe that means that he worked late into the night and got up early in the morning for, for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. What does he mean there? They didn't take any of their money, although they had perfect right to do so, but they didn't do that. He says, we... W- w- because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Isn't that great? They didn't charge them anything. (laughs) They just loved them. I'm reminded of a true story of a street urchin in Chicago back in the late 1800s that would often walk down the street and cross several blocks and so forth and he would pass at least one church, maybe other churches on the way, to go to the church of Dwight L. Moody, the shoe salesman who founded uh, Moody Church and preached Christ. On one of those Sundays, a deacon at one of the churches this little boy would walk past, asked him, he said, how come you always walk past our church and, and go to Mr. Moody's church? And the kid looked up at him and he said, Sir, at Mr. Moody's church, they love me. Oh, wow <laughs> you see, people don't know how much uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care and listen, if you're in leadership, take that to heart. You see, when Paul came to Thessalonica, he was a giver, not a taker, though he certainly would have been completely in the right to ask them to support him because he brought the gospel to them, but he didn't do that. He was a giver, not a taker. And I'm sure he was being accused of using them and trying to fleece them, but that was not the case there, and the Thessalonians knew it. Now, let me let me explain something here. In a world of sociopathic narcissists, and man, do we see those everywhere today, even in government. <laughs> in a, a religious milieu with holy men on every corner like they were in Paul's day, they're all over the internet, online, on TV, in every town, with con artists abounding using religion as a cloak of greed, ambition, and lust, and even people entering the ministry who at the very, very base heart of it are truly motivated by greed, by ambition, and by lust. Those, are, I think, are the three things that cause problems for ministers. In that kind of world, Paul said, hey, I'm the right kind of guy. I brought the gospel to you at no charge. I would bleed for you. And listen, think about it. Maybe the Thessalonians realize, you know, if if you would bleed for me, take the lead for me. I want you to be my leader. It's sort of like Lucy and Charlie Brown. You've seen it so often when they're out in the yard playing in the Peanuts cartoons and Lucy invites Charlie Brown to come and kick the ball. So she has the football teed up. And they go through, that. you've seen it many times, they go through the sequence of, hey, you're not fooling me. You know, the last time you moved the ball and all that, and oh, no, no, I never do that this time, Lucy says. What happens every single time when Charlie Brown goes to kick the ball, she moves it, and Charlie Brown lands on the ground and loses his socks, shoes, hat, everything. It's just a mess. Listen. Paul could have asked the Thessalonians, why would you think that I would lie to you if I would die for you? That's the heart of leadership and sacrifice that Paul had. Now, it's not because Paul was such a great guy, although I'm sure he was. It's because Jesus was being Jesus through Paul. The life of Christ was being lived through the risen Christ, through the Apostle Paul. Paul had said at one place where he wrote, For to me, to live is Christ. That's how Paul conducted himself among the Thessalonians. And so the idea is, you know... I can lead you because I would bleed for you. And if I would die for you, why would I lie to you? Now, here's the point of all of this. It comes down to integrity. I'm reminded of the corporate CEO that went into the boardroom and announced to the vice presidents and everybody who was anybody, This year, our theme is integrity. And everybody in the room gasps, so bold, yet so risky. That's often how people in the corporate world, not all the time, but sometimes look at integrity. Now, I think that if you operate by integrity, you'll get a lot farther in the long run than you will operating by uh, trickery in the short run. But it's about integrity, folks. And let me let me explain why I say that. Let's let's kind of erase the board a minute. You're not saved. You live in Thessalonica. You're worshiping idols, or maybe you're attending the local synagogue, but man, there's just no there there spiritually. You're going through religious, religious ritual. You don't have a real spiritual relationship with God. You're just involved in religion. And this guy comes into town named Paul. I've heard that he's a tent maker. I also heard that he got in a lot of trouble legally in Philippi, and he barely made it out with his life, and I can even see the wounds on him. But he must not be all bad because on the, on the Jewish Sabbath, he came to synagogue, and as is so often the case, a, a guest would be offered the opportunity to read from the Word of God. And he did that, and he proclaimed to us that the promised Messiah would come. And that this Messiah had indeed already come and it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected on the third day and showed himself alive by many infallible proofs to many people over many uh, weeks after his resurrection, and he ascended back to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's coming again. And involved in the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, is something called the rapture of the church. And that before God unleashes judgment on the world and something that the prophet Daniel predicted, the tribulation period, capital T, before God poured out His wrath on a rebellious, Christ-rejecting world, that Jesus Christ would take His bride, the church, home for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Well, I placed my faith in Christ because Paul convinced me that Jesus Christ is a Son of God and yet it is true that he had to leave town quickly, and we haven't heard from him since. I'm beginning to doubt, old Paul. I'm not even sure about everything he told me, but especially about this whole rapture thing, because we are going through a lot of trouble right now, and it feels like there is no rapture, or that we missed it, or that my loved ones who've already died won't take part in that, and this isn't making very much sense anymore, and I'm starting to doubt this Paul guy. That's the, that's the, um, the emotional atmosphere that's going on, at least to some extent, in the church in Thessalonica. It might not be as strong as I just said, but it was certainly there around the edges. And Paul heard what was happening there, and he was worried about them. And so his basic, his basic answer back to them is, you didn't know me long, but you knew me, you watched me, you observed me, and you know that I am a person of integrity, and I ministered among you, only in in integrity. Paul had the the, the concept that leaders eat last. You know what that means? It's it's best exemplified by an infantry officer in combat. After that battle is over, before the officer does anything for himself, he's going to check out the condition of his troops. He's going to make sure first that they've got what they need, something to eat, if possible, a place to sleep, more ammo if there's more battle to come. They're taken care of first, and leaders eat last. By the way, if you're a leader and you do not operate that way, you will not be a leader long or if you hold a, quote, position of leadership, but you're not that kind of person, you should resign it. Or, better yet, you should repent and you should allow the great leadership qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ to be, to be flowed through you for the benefit of those you lead. That would even be a better idea. Amen? If you are in a a church or ministry where you are led by leaders who eat last, you should thank the Lord. However, if you're in some type of church or ministry and the leaders don't eat last, they just eat everything. And it's them first and you know every other man for himself. You need to find a better church. You need to get in a different ministry group. Does that make sense? Because the the right kind of leadership is what we see exemplified by the Apostle Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 2, and he got that, like I said, he gets that from Jesus Christ. Not that Paul is such a super-duper guy on his own. Leaders eat last, and Second, another great principle of leadership that we see exemplified here is do as I, fill in the blank for me, do as I. Now, if if your answer is do as I say, that's incorrect, especially if you're a leader. If you're in a church where your leadership says do as I say, then here's a a better way they should be operating, and if they won't, find those who do operate this way. Do as I do. You see, the Thessalonians were not asked to do or believe or behave or live in any way other than what Paul himself was also doing. Do as I do. Do. Hey, Pastor Ed, where'd you get these leadership principles from? Hey, um, before I ever heard these because of the human father that I had, this was imprinted and ingrained in me from earliest times. Thankfully, I was raised in a church where the leadership, the pastors lived this before us. This is the type of pastor that I tried to be, very imperfectly, but this was my heart. If you scrape away all of my missteps and failures, and I uh, wish I could get that one over, do that over again. If you scrape away all of that, the, my, my intent was to be the leader who ate last to have others do as they saw me do in a a positive sense, to be the right kind of leader. Integrity is a non-negotiable in spiritual leadership. Now, here's why, and I want you to hang with me here. Here's why this is so important. If the Thessalonians were deeply troubled about Paul uh, the man, and Paul, the message that he brought, the gospel, especially as it related to the rapture of the church. If there started to be questions about the integrity of the man or the message, it's it becomes a life and death matter, right? No, it doesn't. It's way more important than that. It's way more important than life and death. Well, Pastor Ed, What's more important than life and death? Hey, here it is, eternity. You see, the the eternal destination and well-being and the eternal habitation of these Thessalonian believers was at stake. Because if Paul was the right kind of messenger and brought the true message and they believed it, all was well. Amen. But if Paul was not the right kind of messenger, in other words, a con artist or a fraud, and is and he brought a message that was not trustworthy, and it's starting to feel like it's not, because he talked about the tribulation, and man, are we going through tribulation or trouble? But that would be with a small t. And Paul had taught them. He had already taught them that they would suffer. He had already suffered. He would suffer in the future. They had been going through it, but it wasn't tribulation, the tribulation with a capital T, that would come later, and they would not even go through that because Christ, they would either pass from this life to the next before that, or Christ would take them home to heaven as the bride of Christ, the church before that. Well, now there were people teaching that not only was Paul fake, his message was wrong. There will be no rapture before the tribulation or it's already happened and we're in the tribulation, capital T. You see, now it's not just a matter of life and death. Now it's a matter of eternal salvation that's at stake. Have I been hoodwinked? Did Paul lie to me? Did he misrepresent the truth? And Paul's answer back in second, uh, the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians is hey, why would I lie for you if I would die for you? And if I will bleed for you, I will lead for you, right? And you know, the thing about suffering is this, like, why does God allow that? I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to give, I could give some Bible answers that probably you've heard before, but let me tell you one reason I think we are allowed to go through shared suffering, shared suffering. In fact, let, let me do it this way. I want every one of you listening to this episode to think back to some event or experience you went through, maybe as a child or a teenager or an adult, and it could be from any, anything like sports, to military, to a house fire, to a flood, uh, you know, a, a company going out of business, or some, some event that you can think back to that you went through with others, now do you have such an event in your mind right now? I hope you do. All right, so you're thinking of that event. Now let me ask you a question. It's not just something you went through alone, right? It's something you went through with others. Like if it was a house fire, your whole family was involved. If it was a flood, it almost wiped out your town. If it was a business that went under, it was you know, there were 300 people employed there. If it was in a sports setting, it was it was you know your team doing everything it had to do to reach the championship game and winning it. You see what I'm saying? That kind of thing. So ho- hopefully you've got that event in your mind. Now here's here's what I know is true. Whatever it was, good, bad or ugly, it was shared suffering that you went through or shared suffering you went through to achieve something great, right? Well, there's no greater bond, I think, let's put it this way, that's one of the greatest bonds that can ever be formed in human life. Because when you go through shared suffering with teammates, coworkers, your family, the people in your town, You get the idea when all of you go through the same suffering together, that is a super glue no one can break. And I think spiritually, when believers go through shared suffering, like Paul and Silas were were imprisoned in Philippi, they shared that suffering together. That's something no one else could enter into, right? That bond when paul had to flee from town to town with his team like silas and timothy and dr luke they were the four that went through that you know 100 other people might hear about it but they didn't experience it and it's it's that shared suffering that is the super glue of the saints and now the Thessalonians they weren't in the tribulation capital T but they were going through suffering together as a new young church just like Paul had suffered for Christ and their shared suffering was a super glue that that bonded them together and nothing could break that and Paul is reminding them that yes we all have shared and these troubles, and we're all together in this, and you can be confident that I'm not only the right kind of leader, but I have brought you the true message of the good news of Christ. Well, friends, I hope that as we have gone through this, this series today, uh, to this episode, that you're realizing that it, it is quite a wonderful thing to know the good news of Jesus Christ and it's great to be part of the church and Paul, Paul even concludes, you know I mentioned that the rapture is mentioned in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, well right here at the end he, he assures them, he says verse 18, wherefore we, we would have come unto you, even I Paul, once and again but Satan hindered us. So Satan can certainly oppose us. But Paul assures them, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. So Paul even brings this part to a close here by saying, listen, I told you that Christ is coming for the church before the tribulation period and he said don't doubt us don't doubt our our love and concern for you we've we've been hindered from coming back by satan but he tells them that they are his hope and joy and crown when the lord returns for the church that he is so proud of them and so basically Paul just reinforces here, don't doubt the message. Keep your head down and, you know, keep your heart rooted in the truth of Christ and keep pushing forward because Jesus is coming again. Thanks for listening today. I hope you will invite others to listen to our podcast it is This Week in the Word. It can be found the easiest way is just for somebody to type in their search bar www.dredhill.podbean.com That's dredhill.podbean.com There's no period after that DR. They can also find us if they want to do it the hard way on Podcasts on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, and probably several other places as well. Perhaps you have spiritual questions about your relationship to Christ, or you would like to be sure that you're a Christian. During business hours, Eastern Time, you can call this number on weekdays, 888-537-8720. 888-537-8720. You can get your spiritual questions answered. You can get helpful information about the Christian life. I'm so happy you've joined us. I hope this has been a blessing to you today. I look forward to teaching you again on our next episode of This Week in the Word. God bless. Have a wonderful week.